0: Okay, I will tell you this. We're going to be looking at a very cool story this morning. Uh, this is one of my favorite, favorite accounts of the resurrection. And for those of you who are visiting, we've been going through a series on encounters of worship. And what we've been looking at is different encounters that people had with Jesus where it just led to full-out worship of Jesus. And, and we've hopefully been learning from those encounters. And when we started this series, uh, even though we've covered this story before, I knew that we had to talk about this story on Resurrection Day, because it is a huge encounter of worship, as we will see shortly. And I'll tell you, when it comes to the resurrection story, uh, it is the greatest story to talk about. Um, it just is. It will, I will never grow tired of telling this story because it doesn't need any help, it does not need any tweaking, any you know, special way to present it. It just stands on its own. The story of the resurrection is absolutely awesome. Amen. And and as I said, I've told this particular story of resurrection, this account, several times before. You've probably heard me tell it, but here's the the truth. I never get tired of telling it, and I hope you never get tired of hearing it, because it is a powerful, life-changing story when we grasp the immensity of it. And today's story comes from the Gospel of John. If you have your Bible this morning, that's great. Turn to John chapter 20. If you don't, it will be on the screen behind me. But this this story zeroes in on one woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. This story tells it kind of from her perspective. And it is one of the most heart-wrenching, most beautiful stories of love that you will ever find. And so let's, let's look at it. And to set up the story today, let's talk about where and how Jesus was buried. It'll kind of set it up for what we're going to be talking about. Immediately following the death of Jesus, a very wealthy man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret follower of Jesus, he was a secret follower because he was scared of, you know, the Jews and what um, they might do to him if they found out. But he went to Pontius Pilate and he asked permission to take Jesus' body down from the cross. And so he and a guy by the name of Nicodemus, who was also another secret follower of Jesus, who was also a Pharisee, they took the body of Jesus down from the cross and they had to work quickly because the Sabbath was quickly approaching. The burial had to be done before sundown because, as you know, no work could be done on the Sabbath and burying a body would be considered work. So they had to move quickly. So they got some linen cloth, they wrapped Jesus' body in it, and they laid him in the tomb. And the tomb that they laid him in was Joseph's own, very own personal tomb. Um, In the book of Matthew, it tells us us that Joseph had his own tomb carved out of this rock. It was a brand new tomb. Um, No one really knows where Jesus' tomb um, actually is, but at least you can kind of get a picture of what it might have looked like. Um, but you have to understand something, for a man to a, a afford such a tomb like this, he would have had to have been incredibly wealthy, and Joseph was. I mean, he, he paid for this to be carved out of stone. Can you imagine having that job be ding, 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 ding all day long? You go home and your wife's like, hey, honey, how'd it go today? Oh, good, week. took another quarter inch of stone out of the opening, you know, hit my thumb five times, you know, that would be your life. Well, it would have cost a lot of money to make that kind of tomb, and Joseph had his own very own, but he gave it to Jesus. He wanted to put Jesus in it. It was an incredible, incredible gift. Well, that was Friday night before sundown, right after, right before the Sabbath. And as you know, nothing could be done during the Sabbath to the body. They weren't allowed to go to the tomb and put spices on it or anything. It was going to have to lay there untouched until the Sabbath was over. And that's where we pick up the story today. So let's start reading in verse 1 of chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, remember, Jesus' body was sitting there untouched, no spices on it, nothing, just wrapped up in linen cloths. Joseph didn't have time to put all the spices on it. He would have to wait till Sunday to do that. So that's exactly what Mary is doing. So Mary and two other women, they they get all their spices together and they get up really really early on Sunday morning and they go out to put these spices on the body. They want to honor their Lord by doing this and they're waiting for the soonest possible time to do it. So they get up while it's still dark to do this final precious act of love for Jesus. Now, other passages tell us that while we are, they were on their way, they were discussing how in the world are they going to roll back that stone because it's absolutely huge, and they're just three little women, how they, they were going to do it. Well, when they get to the tomb, they find that the tomb had already been rolled open, and Mary panics. She panics. Verse 2, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. She immediately, you know, panics, and she runs to to Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest friends. She runs all the way to where they are to tell them this horrible news. Well, let's see what happens. So Peter and the other disciple, John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Peter and John, they don't waste any time and they want to see for themselves if what Mary is saying is true. We got to go check this out. So they start off for the tomb. Now, I find it interesting here that John points out that he runs faster than Peter. Isn't that a little weird? But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You know, John was kind of a sprinter and, you know, Peter was kind of a plotter. And I find it funny that John sees fit to mention that for all of us to see. How many can identify with Peter? All right, I'm with you. But anyways, John gets there first. He he bent over, verse 5, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. John made it to the tomb first, but he didn't go in. He simply bends down, looks in, sees the strips of linen lying there, and he realizes that what Mary said is true. And so he just stands there and thinks about it. Verse 6, Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went to the tomb. There goes John again. He's like, he was behind me. I was in front of him. And, you know, the, Peter finally gets there, okay? Now, John was the first to get there. He was the faster disciple, but he is too, maybe too scared to go into the tomb. But Peter makes it to the tomb, and when he gets there, he goes right in. He might be slow, but he's not scared of tombs. And this is what he finds. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Peter gets into the tomb, and he's a bit confused, and here's why he's confused. It's clear that somebody had taken the body, okay? I mean, the body was gone, but it doesn't make sense, because grave robbing was very common in that day, but when the grave robbers showed up, they would take anything that was of value out of the tomb, and they'd leave the dead body there. Nobody wants a dead corpse. They would take the valuables. But the linens weren't taken. Linen, the linen cloth would have been a very valuable thing for them, but they weren't there. Here they were. In fact, not only were they laying there, what was special about it? What would, it, what would it, the cloth? It was folded. Exactly. What grave robber does that? Goes in there and steals everything. and says, hold on, guys. Let me just fold this real quick for the next guy you know, to come in. No, nobody does that. They will take the stuff and run out. So what happened to Jesus' body? Verse 8, Finally, the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Well, apparently from this passage, we see that John got the nerve to go in, and what he saw caused him to apparently think otherwise. When he saw the linens lying there, he immediately believed that Jesus had risen. Now, we don't know to what degree he knew what was going on, but at least to a small degree, he had to have come to the realization that Jesus had come back to life. Okay? Because you see, this wasn't on the disciples' mind. The idea of Jesus raising from the dead wasn't even close to on any one of their thinking i mean they had no clue that this was going to happen they didn't understand that the scriptures talked about that so this wasn't on their radar but apparently john sees it and he believes he's the first one it appears to come to that conclusion but what's interesting is he doesn't tell anyone he just leaves it and he you know walks away because look at what happened i'm going to move this guys Then the disciples went back to their homes. You would think that if John believed, he would joyously start telling everybody that Jesus rose from the dead, but he didn't. They turn around, and they go back to where they were staying. And you know what's so sad to me is that they just leave Mary there all alone. I can imagine that their minds are all perplexed and confused, and they're they're, they're thinking heavily about these sort of things, and they just turn around, and they head home. But Mary... Stood outside the tomb, crying. Now, I don't know about you, but that picture, it just, man, just rips my heart. Because I can just picture her. I can't imagine the devastation that Mary must be feeling. This is almost too much for her little heart to take. For Mary, this is a disaster. And for us to comprehend the intensity of this moment here, we need to understand how much Mary loved Jesus. You see, Mary's life wasn't always so great. Mary wasn't always a follower of Jesus. Mary didn't always have it so good. You see, she had been changed. She had been radically changed. And in the book of Mark, it tells us that Jesus had taken seven demons from her, driven out seven demons. Look at there, verse 9. He had take, he'd driven seven demons from out of Mary. Seven evil spirits. Now, guys, I have to tell you something. I know this may make some of you uncomfortable, but it's the truth. As a pastor, I run into the demonic realm from time to time. And when I've encountered people who have had a demon, I have to tell you, their lives are a mess. A person who is being oppressed by a demon is living in a life that is utter hell. Take my word for it. They struggle with depression. They struggle with sleeplessness. They struggle with broken relationship. They live in emotional turmoil every moment of the day. And many times the pain is so great that they find themselves running to anything and everything to just try to suppress the pain. And the next thing you know, they're so burdened down with addictions and and habits that it eventually leads to their death. You see, the enemy wants to destroy them. Imagine having seven demons oppressing you day and night. Well, that was the life of Mary. Imagine her life. Imagine the emotional torture that she had to endure. Imagine the addictions that she resorted to to push down the pain. Imagine the horrible choices she made and the broken relationships that she left in her wake. Imagine how people judged her and looked down on her and probably called her every name in the book. She lived a life of complete and utter bondage. That was Mary's life. That was her existence until she met Jesus, until she met her Lord. And when she met Jesus, let me tell you something, everything changed, everything. Jesus changed everything, And imagine the difference in her life. He drove out seven demons and set her free. She was free. And from that point on, she began to follow Jesus and and to learn from him and to experience this life of freedom, this life of salvation, a life free from the oppression that she constantly lived with. She had met her Lord and he had forgiven her and now everything was different. No more pain, no more shame, No more chains, no more feelings of being unloved, no more feelings of rejection. Jesus changed her her life, and from that day forward, Mary chose to follow Jesus. She committed herself to him, and it says that she followed, in Scripture, it says that she followed Jesus, and she ministered to him. Jesus had so changed her life that she gave her life to serve him back. And like Paul Jeffries taught us a couple weeks ago, we can certainly see that when you have been forgiven a lot, you're able to what? Love a lot. And when you come to that point, it just leads to a life of worship. You know, we don't know the kind of life Mary had. We don't know the extent that Jesus had forgiven her. But you know what? Mary did. She knew what Jesus had forgiven her of. And her love for Jesus was just immense. She would go to the ends of the world for this man. This man who had freed her from her bondage. And you know what? She did. She followed Jesus to the very end. Scripture makes a point of telling us that Mary was there at the cross watching Jesus go through all those horrific events. She saw Jesus get crucified She didn't leave. She didn't run away like the disciples did. She was there. And Scripture also tells us that she was at his burial. She saw Joseph and Nicodemus put him into the tomb and roll the stone over the opening. She followed Jesus to the end. So we don't know, we don't have a clue of what Jesus had forgiven her from. But I want to ask you the question, do we know and grasp the immensity of what Jesus has forgiven us from? Do we really get that? Because the truth is, let me tell you something, when we do grasp it, when we grasp the immensity of His forgiveness, it will stir up a love for Him that will change our life and cause us to live out a life of worship. That's what happened to Mary. This man had changed her life, and now he was gone. And all she wanted to do was just to show her love to him and go to the tomb and put spices on his dead body. I I know it's not much, but it's all she could do. And she desperately wanted to do that for her Lord. She wanted to mourn the loss of her Lord, but the body was gone and and she was devastated. Let's keep reading verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? they've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't, I don't know where they've put him." Now, I realize that this may seem rather insignificant, but I want to point out something here. Even though Mary is crying and weeping and in distress, she continues to what? She continues to look for Jesus. Unlike Peter and John, who have given up and they've gone home, she won't settle for that. She continues to look for him. And there's something very powerful in that. And here's what I want us to see. Our times of weeping and distress and crying, they must never get in the way of our times of seeking. So many times, here's what's our reality, so many times when we're seeking after Jesus and we're expecting great things to happen When they don't happen the way we expect, we begin our weeping and we begin our complaining and we begin our just, you know, crying and our hearts are broken because this isn't what we expected. And then the next movement we make is we just give up the search. We give up seeking after God because it's not happening the way that I wanted it to happen. Guys, can I just say something this morning? Don't give up the search. Don't let your times of weeping cause you to give up seeking. In Hebrews, it says that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. He rewards those. He rewards those who who continue to seek him in spite of not understanding. Even when, when things seem all out of whack, to earnestly seek him, guys, means to crave him, to diligently search him out, even in the times of weeping. And that's what Mary's doing here. Everything is happening completely opposite to what she expected. Everything's going wrong in her eyes, and she's at the tomb weeping. And you know what? You want to scream out to her. You want to say, Mary, just give up. Just go home. It's okay. Go home. Have a glass of wine. Take a break from life for a while. Quit wasting your time looking for Jesus. You're not going to find him. Just give up. But instead of giving up and going home, she continues to look. And she's bending over, looking into the tomb to see if her eyes might have been playing tricks with her. Maybe the body was still there and she just didn't see it. Maybe she would missed it. She had to investigate one more time. But when she looks in and to, to look for the body, she sees two angels. One is sitting at the foot of where Jesus' body laid and one is sitting at the head. And the angels ask Mary, they say, woman, why, why are you crying? And you can hear the pain in Mary's voice when she answers. She says, they've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they've put him." And it says in Scripture, in verse 14, it says, at this, she turned around. Let me point out something here. Notice it says in this passage that Mary sees two angels, two of them. Now, if I were to take a hand count of how many of us in this room have ever seen an angel before, I would highly doubt that we would even see one hand. I mean, really see an angel, not say, yeah, Luke, I walked into a room, and there was this little shimmer of light on the wall, and I'm like, I think it's an angel. No, I mean, really see an angel. Talk to an angel. I I would doubt that we would, maybe we'd have one person, I don't know. But it'd be very unlikely because seeing an angel in our lifetime is such a rare thing. Only a a handful of people have ever seen an angel. But if I were to ask everyone in this room, how many would like to see an angel? Raise your hand. Yeah, probably most of us. We would love to see an angel. Seeing an angel would be something incredible. I'd love to see an angel. That would be so awesome. I love the story of the the shepherds on the night Jesus was born when that one angel showed up. They're like, oh, you know, they fall to the ground. I mean, it must have been incredible. Well, guess what? Mary sees two of them. Two of them. And not only does she see them, she talks to them, and they talk to her. And when you read the Scripture, it gives the impression that Mary simply talks to them, and she turns to leave. You see, Mary wasn't interested in the angelic realm. She wasn't interested in the paranormal. She wasn't interested. She wasn't impressed. She wasn't scared. She wasn't even going to be deterred by these angels because Mary wasn't looking for angels. She was looking for who? Jesus. For her Lord. And nothing would satisfy her except Christ himself. And that's what's so important and so amazing about Mary. She gets it. Once someone has experienced Jesus the worship of anything else is just empty it's just empty and people the sooner we realize that the sooner it is that we will stop being distracted by the things that this world just throws our way only Jesus will satisfy amen, amen. only Jesus Only encounters with Jesus can soothe the longings in your soul. And, guys, let me say this to you. When you want Jesus more than anything, guess what? I promise you, you'll find him. If you seek him, you will find him. Those who will be content with nothing but Jesus will be given nothing less. God doesn't say, hey guys, search me with all of your heart, and if you don't find me, (laughs) sorry man, at least you tried. No, he says, seek me with all your heart, and you will find me. It says in Hebrews, he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. Mary searched him, and she was about to find him. Let's keep reading verse 14. At this she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Mary turns from the angels, and suddenly she sees this guy. It happens to be Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. She has no clue that Jesus is standing right there in front of her. I love this. And Jesus asks her. I think this is so funny. He doesn't doesn't reveal himself right away. He he asks her. He goes, hey, woman, why, why are you crying? What is it that you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Now, you read that verse there, and if you're like me, you wonder why in the world does Mary think he's a gardener? You ever wondered that? I mean, what is Jesus doing that is making her think he's the gardener? Well, tell you. Here's what I don't think he's doing. If you Google pictures of Jesus all over the place, I don't think he's wearing a sheet with half of his shoulders, you know, you know, showing and all this sort of stuff and doing the Heisman Trophy move like this. I don't think Jesus was doing that. I think he probably had like some hedge trimmers and he was like, hey woman, who, what are you looking for? You know, what are you crying about? He looked like a gardener. Well, Mary's thinking that he's the gardener. She says, she doesn't even answer his question. She just says, sir, if you've taken him, tell me where he is, I'll, I'll go get him. And I love that. I love little tiny Mary offers to carry him herself. She could have never carried the body she wants to find him so bad she offers to get him herself and i love this part of the story jesus said to her mary mary notice that all he said was mary he gently calls her by name nothing else No fancy lightning from the sky. He simply calls her by name. That voice that spoke the universe into existence simply says, Mary. And instantly, Mary recognized him and she cried out, Rabboni, which means my master. And she came running out of that tomb and ran right into his arms. Isn't that awesome? I love that. The one who took her shame. The one who rescued her from death, the one who set her free from the chains that she was in, spoke her name. And she recognizes who he is, and she runs out of that tomb to the one who means more to her than anything else on this earth. And she never wants to let him go. And why would she? Jesus was the object of her worship. And this worship service had to have been one of the most powerful services in Mary's life, She was with her risen Lord, her risen King. And I want to mention this because I think it's pretty cool, but if anyone doubts the truthfulness of Jesus' resurrection, and they think that 11 Jewish men made up this story, you know, try to just trick everyone, I would challenge you on account of this one detail. A Jewish man would never make up a story having a woman be the first to see the risen Lord. It just wouldn't happen. It would be a man. But that's exactly what happened. God chose to first reveal his resurrected son to a woman. And man, I'll tell you, I don't think there could be a greater experience than to see our risen Lord. Amen? Well, guess what, guys? One day, we're gonna see him. We're going to see him face to face, and I can't wait for that day. But the very first person to see our risen Lord is a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene, a woman whose life was so messed up, a woman whose life was in such bondage, a woman who the enemy had tried to destroy, but Jesus rescued her, and he changed her. And this woman gets to be the one who sees the risen Lord first. Isn't that awesome? You want to know why I think Jesus chose this woman to be the first to see Him? Now, I understand this is simply my opinion. This isn't in Scripture. But I think the reason why Jesus chose Mary to be the first to see Him is because she was the only one seeking Him. She was the only one searching for Him. She was intent on finding her Lord. And guess what? She found Him. But the cool thing is, listen to this, the cool thing is, is that what she found was far greater than what she was looking for. It was far greater than what she was expecting. You see, she was looking for a dead body. A dead body. And instead, she found the risen Lord. And I love that about Jesus. Jesus promises us that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. But you know what? Many times with Jesus, the reward is far greater than what we expected. That's the cool thing about God. I truly believe that God loves doing that for his children. He loves doing that for his kids. I truly believe that. Now, remember what caused Mary to recognize Jesus? It was Jesus calling her name. All he said was her name. All he said was Mary. Now he could have said, Hello, my servant. Because she was. She was his servant. He could have said, Hello, my created one. Because she was. She was his created one. He could have said, Greetings, my disciple. Because she was. But he didn't. He called her by name. The risen Lord, the creator of the universe, the sovereign Lord and Savior stood before a woman who was a nobody, a nobody, and he called her by name. You want to know why? Because Mary wasn't a nobody to Jesus. She wasn't a nobody to him. She was worth the world to him. She was worth so much to him that he was willing to go through all the pain and all the torture he did for her. She was so full of worth that he was willing to die for her. And the truth is, guys, he feels the exact same way about you. He feels the same way about you. And I don't know about you, but that just gives me chills to know that God wants to know us on a first-name basis. He wants to call you by name. And I love that because, you see, there's a relationship there. You see, guys, Jesus didn't die for religion. He didn't die for a set of rules and regulations. He didn't die for a bunch of do's and don'ts. He died, listen to me here, He died for a relationship for a relationship with you. He died and rose again so that he could have a relationship with you where you could get to know him. And guys, that's what eternal life is. That's why he died and rose again. So the question this morning is, do you have a relationship? As the video said, do you know him? Do you, or are you just playing the religious game? Are you just playing the church game? Are you playing the do's and don'ts game? Because, my friends, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you are missing out on life itself. You just are. And don't take just my word for it. Ask any disciple of Jesus, any follower of Jesus, and they will tell you that their relationship with Jesus is the most precious gift that they have in their possession. They couldn't live without him. Do you have a relationship with Jesus this morning? Because if you don't, I beg you, don't leave here this morning without one. Guys, I want you to know this morning that our God is a great God. There's none greater. And his, his love for you, you need to hear this, it's so immense. And just as he loved revealing himself to Mary, he would love to reveal himself to you. And my prayer this morning is that each of us would seek him with the same fervor that Mary did. Because when we encounter him, when we come face to face with the risen king of the universe, we will never be the same again. Amen. That's the truth. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this account of Mary. God, I thank you for that that this woman just never gave up. She wanted to find you. But God, what she found was so much greater. She came face to face with you, the risen Lord. God, I pray for those of us in this room who, who've never met you, We don't know you. You're just a guy that we read about. But you're not a friend. You're not our king. You're not our Lord. You're not our savior. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room like that, that they would come to know you this morning. That they would see you as the risen king. That they might put their trust in you and follow you and experience life. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.